0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: Hello, I'm Johnny Owen, and this is the Best 11 podcast from TalkSport. Mark Webster and I ask our guests 11 questions all about their love of football, from their earliest memories of the game to how their matchday rituals have changed over the years. And at the end, they'll tell us their best 11, a team made up of anyone who's ever played for their club, along with a manager of their choice. Will they go four at the back with two sit-in, or will they pack the team with attacking talent? We'll find out very soon. Our guest today is a hugely popular figure in the world of football and music. He was the a man at the famous Food Records for many years, and then went on to be the man behind the worldwide success that is Football Manager. It is of course Miles Jacobson. Miles, welcome to your best eleven. Can you start by telling us who you support
2: and why? I support Watford and the reason I support Watford is I grew up there. I was I was born in London, but we moved to moved to Watford when I was three months old. I didn't have any of the normal family pressures to support a certain club because my dad hated football. Um my mum didn't even know what football was. Um <laughs> and i basically i i I was followed my dad i hated football till i was about six and went to school because i'd never seen it i'd never played it i'd never had a football when when i was a kid and then fell in love with the game when i was at junior school um and at that time because i'm i'm proper old like like you two (laughs) thank you thank you yes um So there wasn't really a lot of football on the telly at the time. Um, You had football on the radio and uh, my best chance of hearing a game um, was on Three Counties Radio, which is my local local medium wave radio station. Um, And my best way of finding out information about football was from the Watford Observer newspaper that got put through our door on a Tuesday. And I became a Watford fan through that. So my first game was when I was seven, and um my mum took me and she had the evening standard with her and she had women's weekly with her and she did the evening standard uh crossword and then read uh, read women's weekly and um <laughs> that kept her going, did it, for the 90 minutes? That 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 kept her going, but she was she was a teacher at a local nursery school and in the row sitting behind us um was a policewoman uh, who worked locally and she reached over to my mum and said you don't look like you're enjoying this very much. <laughs> and my mother was like, yeah, you know, my son wanted to come. Um, it's His birthday gift was was to come to a game of football. And she went, well, look, I come with my kids. I'm happy to take him in the future. Um, so I started going to football with um, with her and her kids, Trisha and Chris, and just over the years, met loads and loads and loads of people. And, and it became... Um, just a, a massive part of my life. That's, that's was, so it, nice
3: because that's kind of like communal, got the, the communal thing early oh, yeah. on, is it become, you know, become that, that group experience, which I think is a great thing. So listen, bringing oh, all what, of the, all of this knowledge what, miles to football that you yeah. clearly did as a young child, who did you single out as your favorite player at that stage?
2: Oh, it was Luther Blissett. Right. very um, Because <laughs> at that, that stage, I mean, I, I saw John Barnes's debut. So it was, it was before, it was before John Barnes was playing for us. And, um, and Luther was the guy who scored all the goals. He missed a lot as well. Um you know, there, there were some who called him Luther Miss It at the time. <laughs> um but we were creating so many chances that uh, that Luther um Luther would always get a bunch of goals. Um but od- oddly, we'll come. We'll come to this later. He- he's only sneaking into my best eleven. Ooh, wow,
3: there's controversy already. It's
2: interesting because we we had loads of really good players at that time. True, but the-, yeah. the players, Watford players, they weren't household names. Most of them didn't become internationals. So, you know, you have people like Les Taylor um, in in midfield, who's a, a hard hitting short midfielder, and and being five foot six and a half myself you know short footballers have always gone down well with me <laughs> um, but you know we we played such an exciting brand of football that some people called long ball um at that point but they they just didn't understand the way that we played which was we didn't play long ball hoofing up to the striker we actually played long balls out to the wings right and you know my first watford game we were in the the old division 3 um, so what would now be League One, and saw us going all the way up to finishing second um, in the top flight, all the way back down again, all the way back up again, all the way back down again, and then all the way back up. So um, it's definitely a roller coaster being being a Watford supporter. But um, you know the the importance to the club and the the friends that I made at football, um, Watford being the family club meant. You know, when the family terrace uh, opened up, there was I being a a 12-year-old pretend hooligan um, <laughs> on the terraces, but a hooligan that was very happy uh, to catch the Easter eggs that were being logged in. Yeah, place. like
3: all the best tough guys do. <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: Um, but you know the friends that I met at that point are still friends for life and, and some of them have actually ended up working at the football club um as well so
0: wow.
2: um and it's still there now so but the group that we grew up with together um i didn't go to university so i don't have my university mates i've i've got my football mates from from when i was 11 12 13 and we still go to games now
1: fantastic so it good Tell us a little bit about Watford. at That time. obviously it was kind of a glamour club. Elton John goes there as the chairman, then Graham Taylor comes, I think from Lincoln, wasn't it? His manager and and sort of propels you through the league. It was it was kind of a, the colour of the shirt and all that. It was quite a glamorous club at that time, wasn't
2: it? Yeah, well, you know, Elton came in and and did did spend spend a bit of uh, spend a bit of money, but it was it was more the stuff around the club that was important because Watford. Watford is your typical just outside london place um look you know i i love it to bits but it had its problems and i was growing up there as um as a kid who has a jewish name um in the 70s and 80s and would get out my local station and there were national front yeah. graffiti and swastikas up that people didn't bother taking down because it would just go back up again the next day mm mm-hmm. Um, and I went to a posh school um, what, what was called in the area of posh school, I had a music scholarship there. So I'd kind of get bullied a bit at school. Well, but more than bullied a bit at school and I'd get bullied a bit at home as well. And football, football to me was, was that great escape from, from the, the normal life. Um, And, uh, you know, it's why it became such an important part of my life and and what what Elton did um, and Graham, who uh, I I learned more from Graham Taylor about how to be a man than I ever did from my dad, even though I didn't meet the bloke until I was in my 30s. Um, This was a club where I'd saved up my pocket money to go to a game um, and we got beaten 4-0. And I sent a letter to the club. Saying how, you know, I'd saved up my pocket money for two months to be able to go to the game. And what hurt wasn't the scoreline, it was the fact that the players didn't try. And three days later, I got a phone call at home from Graham Taylor asking whether he could read my letter out in the dressing room before the next game to motivate the players. And that kind of stuff just didn't happen right mm. and I didn't put my phone number on the letter so they'd actually gone out of their way to try and find my phone number and that's that's how close everyone was to the club and that's what that's what Elton and Graham did at the club um that's how they treated supporters and we've seen that replicated during this during this rubbish year um Watford were one of the first clubs to set up an arrangement to have ex-players, current players and our managers were phoning around people in the community, in the Watford community, who were over 70, um, just to check that they were all right. You know, the, the people who might not have partners, might be beyond that age, people who are lonely, just yeah. phoning them up to check that they were all right. And every time the club found out that someone who was a Watford fan was ill um, with this horrible disease their partner would get a call or they'd get a call in the hospital or someone would go and visit them just because it you know it's so important that we're there that we're there for people
3: this is the best 11 podcast from talk sport we always like to combine this if we possibly can your match day rituals when you were little you've kind of touched on but tell us about them as well now
2: now they are different they're they're different to how they were five years ago because i am spoiled Mm -hmm. um and i'm quite often in the director's box um and i can't hide away from that and i don't try to it's not where i've come from it's not where i should be but it's where i've happened to end end up and um i actually enjoy it because i've got lots of mates uh that i sit with in in, at, at those points as well so my match day ritual um, is different for home and away games. Um, for for home games, I go with um, one of my best mates who, up until um, up until a few weeks ago, was working for the club. Um, we would get up there about an hour and a half before the game, and this is going to sound so ridiculous. Um, I go to the directors' guest lounge and basically make sure that everyone in there is all right before going and having a drink with the chairman. <laughs> Um, before the game Sounds like um, me, Sounds like me I'm actually, no? Don't <laughs> knock it Don't yeah, exactly. knock it lads If you can yeah. and During the match uh, I'm the person Who's got all the sweets <laughs> um, So If somebody wants Some Haribo Or wants some Moam They come and seek me out and, uh, and get some sweets To keep them going um, For away games I tend to travel up there On my own um, On the train And uh, do some work When I'm on the train and then on the way back, I travel back with one of the directors uh, from the club, who is a brilliant man called uh, Dr. Stuart Timperley. Um, and I basically have an education every match day on the way home. Brilliant. Um, could you tell us, Miles, your favourite piece of memorabilia or memento? My favourite piece of memorabilia is absolutely bonkers. So, you know, most people would be calling out, oh, I've got a signed shirt, and it was amazing. Um, I have a toy Tesla that's been signed by all the players. It's one of those little cars that, that, uh, that kids can sit in and a little electric Tesla. And, um, naturally I, I I collect football merchandise. So, um, I, I'm the person that turns up at charity auctions with money in, in their pocket and spends it on signed shirts. So I have a lot, a lot of signed shirts. Um, I like things that are absolutely ridiculous and this came up at a, um, it was an auction for the Supporters Trust, which I'm a big supporter of, they do incredible work in the community in Watford mm-hmm. um, and it came up and I just thought it's the most ridiculous thing i would ever seen.
3: This is the Best 11 podcast from Talk Sport. So have you got a favourite ever kit?
2: Favourite ever kit is the Watford's um, Ivaco kit and it is weird when you know your kits via the sponsor <laughs> 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 um,
3: it's a nice logo
2: but, though, fair enough and it's just because of the memories that I have from, from when we had that kit um, just you know those those were the years when we were that we were flying through the leagues and, and in the top flight when, when I was just a kid so that's why it has lots of memories we've, we've had some really memorable kits we had to you have, yeah we had, we had this purplish-bluish-black kit that basically looked like someone had drunk a load of Ribena and then thrown up on themselves um, as, as an away kit and with Blaupunkt. But for me, that plain old yellow-red-black Ivaco kit is, is the one that I will always... Um, defer to. Yes, always defer to it. Always, strong, always strong colours. To, to be fair, it's Watford, isn't it? It is it's right. good, yeah. strong colours. I like Watford. them. myself. Yeah. So,
1: have you got a soft spot for a team that's not Watford, Miles?
2: AFC Wimbledon. I knew you were going to say yeah. that. Um, <laughs> well, no, come it, on, it, you know. There's They've a reason there. why. Tell it's, us the reason why. We um, we've been their sponsor since two days after they set up. So, I heard them talking at the time that. Uh, that they set up the club and let's be honest, none of us would have wanted to have uh, happened to our club. What happened to theirs? It, it was just a horrible thing to happen. And um, I'd been speaking out about the franchising of football for a while and decided to put um, my money where my mouth was. So we gave them a check. We, we basically asked them how long, it was, how much it was going to cost for them to run the club for a year. And they told me a number and we wrote out a check for that as a three year sponsorship deal and nearly 20 years later we're still still their sponsor uh, i'm a shareholder there uh, delighted they've moved back to to plow lane and and i chipped in where i could as, as all wimbledon supporters did to to be able um to reach this stage back so the the thing that i would say is i don't hate any football clubs irrationally like a lot of football fans do I don't I don't have a problem with Luton but the only other club that I would say that I get emotional when they do well is is Wimbledon.
3: No,
1: nice. I remember we were in the in the Griffin together one night. Me and Miles, we'd had a few beers, and uh, we were chatting about it. And he was bless him, he was going, "Let's go and let's go and do something with Mirtha Tidville, Mirtha Town." <laughs> and I could see how he would write out a cheque like I guess He was going. He was almost like, if we could have got a taxi to Mirtha then, then he'd have done it. Let's go and sort it out. Now. We can go. Come on, Miles and the pair of us, we're going to save Mirtha Town. So he's got that in him. Bless I got him. It. Do
3: you know what Miles? I mean, it's worth pointing out there. You say that's twenty years. I, do you know it's probably come as a bit of a surprise to me that Football Manager, as as this entity, is is that old and probably a bit old. I mean, just tell us how that. Just remind us about how that the story of FM evolved.
2: Well, at, at the time, at the time of AFC Wimbledon, um, we were making a game called Championship Manager. Yeah, and the the irony was that our publisher, um, who we didn't get on with very well, called IDOS. They were based in Wimbledon, so when when we first went in to do this, it was you know, hey, IDOS, you're a, a local company. You should be doing this sponsorship deal. And and IDOS had been sponsoring England, and turned around and just went, oh, well, I don't think our shareholders will be happy if we move from an England deal to a AFC Wimbledon deal. So we went and did it ourselves instead, with with our own money. And um, it was at a time where that the stories were. Kind of similar, um, because a few a few years later, um, when we split with IDOS, they kept our name. So in the same way as um, as the the team whose name I can't even mention had kept Don's, uh, had kept Don's in their name, um, and that's the only problem that I have with them right. is that they've kept Don's. If they dropped Don's, no problem at all. Um, you know, if they bought their league place. They could have put that money into into Milton Keynes City instead. They chose not to. But, you know, su- such is life uh, in, in this commercial world that we live in. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've been working on the series now for 26 years. We released our first game in 1992, which was made by two brothers, Paul Collier, who were at school and were living on a farm in Shropshire and hadn't discovered girls, so made a computer game instead. <laughs> <laughs> um, you. well i i'd met girls which is why i didn't get involved for <laughs> the, of years. It started, the game started in their bedroom and yeah. um we've we've now they're both still in the studio uh, they're both still programmers um which is what they love to do um and we've grown from that little uh that that little company um, to there's over 200 of us now working full-time and on the game we've got a thousand researchers around the world um, who are going and watching watching football week in week out rating players from the ages ages of 15 they, they don't appear in the game till they're 16. Um with a, a dedicated fan base around the world as well you know we've gone from selling 50,000 games to selling a, a couple of million games a year and I think that the secret behind it all is that we make the games for us um, and it just so happens that there are millions <laughs> of people There's like us. There's a lot
3: of us. you out there,
2: yeah. yeah. <laughs> we also enjoy them. And it's what musicians do as well, is that they're, they're making, because they make things from the heart, you can tell that, that passion um, that's in the game and other people get just as passionate about it as well. So, yeah, it's been it's been a long old journey and it's weird because I still think I'm a teenager, huh. um, but yeah, I've been working for for that for that long um, on the game for the first eight years. It was it was part time. Um, I did it part time. I was working in the music industry and and a subject game that Johnny knows pretty well because he made a film about about a and r yeah. guys and i was um i was one of them i can't tell you what was on my business card because uh, it's not past the 9 p.m water show. <laughs> um but it was uh it, it was in the in the days of brit pop i was doing that as my as my full-time job and, and working on the uh, on the blur side of things not the not the oasis side of things then in the evenings was was working on computer games um so i you know i've been so lucky in my life to have had a couple of careers that i've absolutely loved um and put my heart and soul into that they've become vocations um yeah. and managing to merge literally all of my hobbies into my work music computer games um football and and film with little bits of film stuff that i've done over the years those those are my main hobbies um so i've only got cooking cooking left now as a as a hobby that i haven't turned into my job and uh, my cooking's not good enough to turn into now nah, it's also too enough. grown up
3: leave it miles you know you're you're, <laughs> you're the peter pan that we would of, of, of the seasonal era so that's what we're going to keep you <laughs> as that's for sure so now we're going to go what we are going go yes, to do it your now.
1: best 11 um you have a choice here you need to do a country best 11 or a club best 11 but i would imagine I if everybody interviewed, <laughs> ever i would imagine you want to do watford miles
2: Yes, I will, <laughs> I will be doing a Watford, a Watford best 11 because okay. um, only a couple of these played for their countries. Um, so, going to start off in goal. We've had some great keepers over the years, and Ben Foster is going to give me absolute pelters for this. Um, but uh, in goal for us, Tony Coton. Ooh, yes, um, yeah, yeah. Tony Com- oh, one
1: forgets,
3: doesn't one? Great
2: yeah. keeper. Yeah. 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 You know, you you look at the keepers that we've had when we've had Gomez and Almunia and and Ben Foster both at the start of his career and and now at the end of his career. But Tony Coton came to us and and he he'd been in a bit of trouble and didn't have anywhere to go. Came to Watford and Graham Taylor uh, turned his life around basically, and um, he became our regular goalkeeper. It was absolutely fantastic. Um, fantastic for us And and still turns up at the club Every now and again now Brilliant
1: oh. So your, your defence Take us for your defence
2: um, So right back Again This this is someone that people might not know um, but There's a, a good story behind it So it's Nigel Gibbs And Nigel Nigel's dad was the groundsman At the club oh. Nigel played for the club um, From the age of 10 And he was a one club person he was uh, he was with us until his until his his 30s um i wish he was still at the club now as a coach he's currently coaching out in uh, out in belgium um and nigel was Mr reliable he he didn't score didn't score many goals he was also someone that got released by the club at some point um he turned down a move to arsenal but got got released by the club Um, and just turned up for pre-season training. And a month later, they gave him a new contract and he was ever-present that next season. Um, He was Mr Watford. He didn't score very often. And he knew that in the days when I I would still have a flutter on football, that I would always put a couple of quids on him to score the first goal. And when he did score the first goal, I'm still convinced to this day that he gave me the thumbs up. Um, (laughs) And we went out for a monster curry that night. Of course you did. uh, On Nigel... On Nigel's winning on on those winnings because it was a thirty three to one job. Very nice of him scoring. So yeah, Nig- Nigel Gibbs at, at, at right back. Left back uh, is a little bit harder. We we had a guy um, throughout those throughout the Taylor years called Wilf Roskran, um, who was who was absolutely fantastic for us. But there's somebody that I've got to fit into the team because the same way as Nigel, he was a one club person. And that's Lloyd Doyley, or Lloyd Dino, as we called him at Watford. A limited footballer, I think it's fair to say. But he would play, basically, if you told Lloyd that he was going to be playing in goal, he would have turned up and played in goal. He would play absolutely anywhere on the pitch. Um, A massive, wonderful, wonderful servant for the club. um, And a really nice guy to boot. So, Lloyd Lloyd Doyley at left back. Cool. Centre half pairing? Centre back. Centre half pairing, and and this is this is a pairing, um, and again it goes back to that team for the '80s. We've had some wonderful defenders in the last few years, and, and Craig Cathcart will be similarly annoyed as Ben Foster for not getting in there. But um, Steve Terry and John McClelland mm. as the centre back partnership. So Steve Terry was a no nonsense centre back um, in the mould of Terry Butcher, but not as good. Um <laughs> he would get stuck into absolutely anything and used to used to wear a headband because his head would just start bleeding at some point. So why not wear the headband from the start? Yes. Um a wonderful centre back, and John McClelland um was another hard man centre back. Basically, you weren't gonna get past John McClelland. Cool.
3: This is the best eleven podcast from Talk Sport.
0: Ready to pop the question?
1: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince.
0: Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
3: This is the Best 11 Podcast with Johnny Owen and Mark Webster.
2: In central midfield, um, Les Taylor, I mentioned him earlier. Yeah. Um, he's, he's the bite in midfield. <laughs> and then then one of one of the more uh, recent players that we've had uh, who has to get nod here. Oh, yeah um Super player. Just so much skill and um, he would do the box-to-box role. So, Les would win the ball and then Abdoulaye Dekore would like take the ball forwards. On the wings, um, absolutely spoiled for choice here. Nigel Callahan should have been in this team. I've had to play Ashley Young on the right-hand side as our right-winger um, because... John Barnes. I, <laughs> I saw his day de- I saw his debut for Watford. He came on as a half time sub um for Kenny Jacket who who would have been a great shout for left back had Lloyd Doyle not been yep. uh,
1: not
2: not come in. Um but you know, John Barnes just the best player that Watford have ever Ashley had. Ashley Young's basically. not gonna
3: mind deferring to John Barnes, moles I think you're in no, good you're in good to
2: but that—that's why I've put Ashley on on the right because you can't knock him either. And, and Ashley's another one that was freed by the club, really, and uh, was taken was taken under the wing of one of our youth team coaches that summer, who built him up and basically got him eating a lot of burgers, um, to, to <laughs> the to, Troy Deeney way to build to build him up, the Troy <laughs> Deeney way. Yeah, up front. Now, this is a partnership that's not going to work up front. <laughs> Before we start, already, but, it's failed. <laughs> But Ross, Ross Jenkins is sitting on the bench, so he can come on at any point if the chemistry isn't there between these two. But you can't have a Watford team without Luther Blissett in it. Yeah. You can't have a Watford team without Troy Deeney in it.
3: Mm. Yeah.
2: So Troy and Luther up front together. Um, I have no idea who's going to win the headers to knock down to the other one. <laughs> but then, But then with John Barnes and Ashley Young on the wings... Lutheran, Lutheran, and Troy will basically just be getting in each other's way trying to score. That is, that's score
1: a decent front four. That is, come on, it's all right. It's, I mean, he, he was in, um, he was at Forrester the other week, Troy Deeney. And do you know when he, he obviously because of COVID rules, he had to come for a shower after the game in a very specific way. pass through the, the the Forest staff, spoke to everybody, had a bit of a laugh and a smile. And you just go, I'd have that fella at my he's football his club own man, every isn't day he? of he's his the week. Man, just everybody Troy. went. Troy was all right. Wasn't he? He's that kind of character, isn't he?
2: Troy is a lovely bloke who says it how it is. Yeah, No airs and graces around him. He has worked incredibly hard, but also knows how lucky he is to be in the position that he's in. Um, does lots of stuff for charity as well. Lots of stuff for good causes. Um, he is everything the modern day footballer should be. And just works his socks off on the pitch. And as you said, Johnny, the fact that he will care about every single one of those members of, of staff who were yeah. having to work on that day, yeah. given everything that's going on in the world, yeah. and was, that's just Troy. He was brilliant on, on the pitch. On the pitch, you wouldn't want to be facing Troy. he must
1: He must when, have, when he must have he got Forest. He must have got what for about three free kicks they shouldn't have had. Didn't get the Forest lad sent off. It was all because of Troy. He was basically refereeing the match at one, but he was fantastic. The watch. I've him. got to he say.
2: Referee, he referees. He manages. Yeah. He, stays, <laughs> he coaches. Yeah. He's in the stands, and, and you know it's it's one of the reasons when it came to the left back, it's difficult choosing between Doyley and Paul Robinson. Yeah, because Paul Robinson, again, not the best player we've ever had at Watford. Very good, you know, decent left back, but he was the one that would run behind the goal and g up the fans right. at yeah. corners. Yeah, to try and get them motivated, and Troy, Troy has been that motivation. And for a bloke to be Mr. Watford when he was born in Birmingham and grew That's, up. That in takes a doing.
3: Well played him. And, and, so, shows, shows
2: the mark and, the and
3: because you are from Football Manager, this is a perfectly legitimate uh, way of lining this yes. up here. And I personally, for one, want to see Luther and Troy. Working it out between themselves on the pitch would be an absolute joy, wouldn't yeah, it? But there yeah, yeah. you go. That's brilliant. Thanks, Miles. So, so no,
1: the last question is for the man that's sort of in well, the man who is football manager. Who would be the manager of your Watford team?
2: Um, obviously, you know the, the the choice should be Graham Taylor. When we've had all these managers, all these head coaches over the last few years, the Potters aren't shy on bringing new people in, and some of them, you know, were only with us for a few weeks. Um but we've had Zola there, we've had uh, Kiko Sanchez Flores. Um, but it's it's gotta be Graham Taylor, who am I even trying to keep He's Strung us along for a bit there. Yeah, didn't yeah, Marco Silver or something has gone The greatest manager that Watford have, have ever had. Um the cl- the only person in the world that I wish was my dad oh. um rather than my own dad. Um I got to know Graham over the last few years um of his life and he was as incredible a man as I always believed he was as a kid. People say, don't meet your heroes. Mm. It was quite the opposite when it came to Graham Taylor. Just everything that he did for the club, not just, not just as a manager, everything that was done off the pitch, the community work that was done, the fact that Watford basically started all of that side of things off, um, <clears throat> it all came from him. And he made Watford the place that it was in in the 80s and 90s. And um, that's how important he was to the town. So, Graham Taylor um, is my manager. And uh, anyone who disagrees with that's an idiot.
3: The Best 11 podcast from Talk Sport.
1: Thank you for listening to the Best 11 podcast. Don't forget there are new episodes out every Monday and Thursday. So, join us for more football memories and another Best 11 very soon.